welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Well, welcome back. We, again, for the second part of a three-part series by Charlie Resnikoff. I thought you were calling him Charles. Yeah. I was going to call, sorry, Charles Resnikoff. You got informal all of a sudden. (laughs) Our our addiction and medicine and hospitalist from the Twin Cities who has done extensive research. And if you recall our last talk, um, it was quite amazing. So we're going to move on this time. Go ahead, Heather. Yeah, so this week uh, he's going to transition to the next step in talking about recovery by those in recovery from their opioid use disorder is what yeah. I'm assuming it's opioid-based still. Yeah, awesome. exactly. All, All right, I'm going to dive in. I, I, one introductory sort of comment, and that is when you hear these songs, I, I didn't categorize them, songs about people using drugs, songs about recovery, songs warning people against using drugs. I didn't create those categories until after the fact when I was I was just listening to all this music and trying to make sense of all this music. But I realized that some of this music is really upbeat, almost like triumphant, almost like a celebration. And so, you know, I'll play some of these songs that are like almost, they're almost celebrations about I got over this. And the and I'll, some of them, really cool to hear that energy. And then the other thing is some of these songs are really apologetic, like they hurt somebody. And now they're in song apologizing to a loved one that they hurt. And they both sort of flip sides of the coin of recovery. And I just, I think it's really interesting and powerful. And what I hear in this music is really clear vocals, really crisp sound. The beat is on point. It's got a rhythm. It's got a melody. Unlike the using songs that are dissonant and arrhythmic and hard to listen to, these songs tend to be pretty good to listen. This is good music. You know, this is, this is fun to listen to. So um, the first song is Ray Charles. So Ray Charles, uh, of course, grew up blind, had a tough childhood. Um, got into heroin really early um, in the 1940s, early in his life, got in a ton of trouble. He had multiple possession charges, multiple arrests. Um, and finally, after I think his third arrest in 1964, he quit, he quit heroin, quote unquote, cold turkey. He did drink some alcohol after that. Uh, I don't know if he was, had alcoholism, but he did quit, quit heroin and he stayed away. Um, and, uh, you know, un- that's the unfortunate theme with these guys, he died in 2004 of cirrhosis. So a lot of these guys die from cirrhosis. It's really sad to sad to say. Back to your last podcast when you talk yeah. about that cycle of heroin to alcohol, the heroin to alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah he, nice. you have a number of those patients yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he turned off the heroin in 1964, but then he switched to alcohol, unfortunately. But he um, he wrote a number of songs about drugs. So like a fun, a famous one you may have heard, "Let's Go Get Stoned." Um, so that's a Ray Charles song. He didn't mean marijuana. In that era, getting stoned meant getting drunk. So it's like a let's go get drunk song. Um, But the song that I want to call out is a song that he wrote two years after he got sober from heroin, 1966, I Don't Need No Doctor. And uh, Mm -hmm. at first I thought, okay, so this is a song where he's saying, I don't need no doctor because I got my my girlfriend, because I got my love life. So I don't need no doctor because I got my love life. And at first I thought he's saying, 
I don't need a doctor because my girlfriend is the metaphor for heroin and I'll use heroin instead of going to a doctor. But I was wrong when I listened more carefully. What he's saying is the doctor is the heroin. Uh-huh. I don't need no opioids because I'm in love with this woman. So he's saying, he's saying this. I've replaced my addiction to opioids, my doctor. I've replaced that with love life. And if you know about Ray Charles, he was quite a uh, profligate lover. He had many, many liaisons with women um unfortunately you know i i don't you know in that in today's era it would not be allowed it, or, you know, he, <laughs> this he, is g-rated yeah he, he, this is this podcast okay, yeah, I'll stop myself g- that. Yeah, okay. yeah i don't even i don't even think we're pg but, okay, okay. okay all right g-rated no seriously um, i want to know what you were thinking vanilla <laughs> well, i don't you know i don't know he's uh debonair ray charles uh, very neat uh so anyways he's his song i don't need no doctor 1966 I don't need no doctor, no, no, because I know what's ailing me. I've been too long away from my baby. I'm coming down with a misery. I don't need no doctor for my prescription to be filled. Um, you listen to that song, and it's just like the most fun, up-tempo, energetic song. I don't need this anymore because I got my girl. And that, and I think that's the signal that he's trying to send, that he's uh, placed it in his love life and rather than his drug abuse Uh so that's the first one. Second one, I don't have a specific song, but I just need to bring him up, and that is John Coltrane. So John Coltrane, like a lot of these jazz guys, got addicted to heroin in the 1940s and 1950s, and he had 10 years of addiction to heroin. Unfortunately, like so many others, I mean, John Coltrane died of liver cancer in 1957. And he probably had hepatitis C, probably exacerbated with alcohol, cirrhosis, liver failure. Who knows? So he died at the age of 40 in 1957. Wow. Uh, oh, sorry, 1967, he died at the age of 40. Uh, he used uh, heroin from 1948 to 1957. He got sober in 1957. And if you know much about John Coltrane, you know his best years were after that. He had incredible years after that. And John Coltrane is most known, I mean, he's just incredible t- pyrotechnics of tenor saxophone, is super technically mm. gifted center, tenor sax player. But... Um, He's known for the spiritual element of his music, and he became he did these songs were almost like um, a love supreme, these spiritual songs. Anyways, John Coltrane said this about um, I, I well, he, I'll give you the quote, and then we'll talk about it. By the grace of God and a spiritual awakening, which has led me to a richer, fuller, more productive life, and. That time, in gratitude, I humbly ask to be given the means and privilege to make others happy through music. Does that sound like anything to you guys? <laughs> By the grace of God. A-A. He's like, it's like a quote out of the AA handbook. By the grace of God, a spiritual awakening in me gives me a richer, fuller life. Spreading it with others. Spreading it with, uh, spreading mm-hmm. it with others. So he's like... He's this jazz musician that got sober from heroin who went on this spiritual quest through music to spread his spirituality. And I would be, I don't know. I do just, you, I guess he's in, I would guess he's in. Yeah, step you don't think he was on methadone at that point, do you? No, I think that was a little before methadone. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm, you know, and maybe the reason why you, almost all these ones end in death. Uh, you know, there was no methadone or buprenorphine <laughs> right. at the time. It's, yeah. You know, because yeah, we all exactly. know where abstinence goes 80 Six percent of the time, it goes into relapse. So. Yeah, and in how many of these stars that did live are on methadone, but won't won't talk about it? There's yeah, some right. there's some history about um, Aerosmith's Steven Tyler being on methadone. Oh, really? But that was a, it was controversial. But I just heard that I think with an interview with one of his bandmates. 
Um, I don't know that he's still on it now or what he's on or what any of these guys is on, but you got to wonder what, what these guys get. So, um, yeah, John Coltrane basically quoting the AA 12-step program. I thought that was yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's pretty neat. And, you know, so then the next jazz guy I want to get to is a guy named Lee Morgan. And Lee Morgan is a, is a trumpet player, uh, and his most famous, famous song is called Sidewinder. It's a great song. But um, actually, before you get into Lee Morgan, maybe compare Lee Morgan's trumpet to Miles Davis's trumpet. Miles Davis has this like, is he high on opioids right now while he's playing this trumpet? Because there's these <laughs> slurred, slow, I mean, beautiful, incredible, but like super slow and weird, weird calmness to Miles Davis's music. But Lee Morgan had just super high energy music. So Lee Morgan's story was he, at a young age, got addicted to heroin, he got into trouble. And Lee Morgan was incarcerated at something called the Lexington Narcotics Farm. Oh, Ooh, that's where they yeah. did all the research. Yeah. yeah, so Lee Morgan got put in the Lexington Narcotics Farm. Oh, and uh, so I want to take a minute and talk about that. And then I'll talk about when Lee, when Lee Morgan came out of the farm, he then had a really productive time sober making new music. So he, he gets sent to the Lexington Narcotics Farm. And if you, um, Lexington Narcotics Farm is like a, it was a federal institution that was, it was like the first drug court. If you got caught on a narcotics charge, you could choose to go into the narcotics farm instead of um, going to jail. And the the deal was you were basically locked up. You didn't have access to drugs unless they gave them to you. Um, they let a lot of jazz musicians, because remember the, 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 the narcotics bureau was going after jazz musicians, tons, tons of jazz musicians. And so they would have, they would let these jazz musicians um, jam. So they had epic musical events in in jail, basically. So you're saying they weren't growing anything? Well, they were. They were. There was a true working farm, and they produced their own food. So but they, didn't they also have like they would do like different medication yeah, trials on yeah, these people at this yeah. farm? Yeah. So the I, I don't know if you want to call it good or bad, but one of the dark sides of this Lexington narcotics farm is that they they trialed many medications, including uh, antagonists like naloxone and methadone. They tested those out. They also tested out a bunch of different behavioral studies where they would give people heroin to see how quickly they developed tolerance, to see how quickly withdrawal would happen. They would do behavioral tests like cue-based associations. So a lot of the fundamentals of addiction medicine came out of the research done on inmates at the Lexington Narcotics Farm. And they, they, they took people with addiction to opioids and gave them opioids to to then study the effect of opioid addiction it's kind of like the tuskegee experiments letting right. letting people get keep they didn't treat syphilis in people to see what would happen it's a little like that so it's disturbing in a lot of ways but some good came out of it um anyways um lee morgan was one of these folks uh other people who was at the the lexington drug farm uh included uh let me see i got a list of uh, Elvin Jones, the most famous drummers. Chet Baker, an incredible trumpet player and singer. Sonny Rollins, maybe one of the best sax players. Uh, Peter Lorre, uh, actor. Huh. William S. Burroughs, the author. Um, tons of famous people were incarcerated at the Lexington Narcotics Farm and subjected to experiments like this. So their success rate of the Lexington Narcotics Farm? Drum roll. 7%. Ouch. <laughs> so they, they had successful research, but you can't, I mean, and but it's weird because when you go to abstinence-based rehab today for opioid addiction, what's their success rate? You About know, the same. Yeah, I know. So not a lot has changed. Um, but so, my, so did they let them bring their instruments and everything yeah, in? Yeah. 
So they played they played epic Did, jam sessions. Is there anything recorded? Yeah, there's very little recorded. Most of it's lost. There's That's a few grainy recordings you can find on the internet of these jam sessions, and then you have first first per- person testimony of employees there that would just stop working and they would go listen to this in- like glorious music um, being made happen. Um, wow. They did, you know, it's interesting. If you take a, they took jazz musicians and they'd have them play their song sober, record it. And then they'd have them play their songs intoxicated, record that too. They'd ask them which was better. And people would say the intoxicated song was better. And then they'd play those songs back and say, now which is better. And they'd say, all right, the sober song was better. Wow. So it's like funny that the people, so they did these really amazing experiments on people. So Lee Morgan gets out of, uh, and he's one of the success cases. So he stays sober. 1964, he gets out. And in 1966, he releases an album called um, uh, Corn, Cornbread. Cornbread, I think. Uh, anyways, he... We'll, we'll probably dub that yeah, out if you're yeah, wrong. Yeah, right? no, it might yeah, be wrong. Right. Even but though we don't he, fix On this stuff. album, he's got a song called Speedball. You know, pretty oh. obvious reference. He's got another song called You Go To My Head, which I, in the prior podcast, talked about Billie Holiday singing as a, an ode to her drug of choice and he say he has a song called uh gigolo so he's got all these songs about drug use but he's sober and if you listen to these lee morgan songs from 1967 is speedball i chose that one it's this up-tempo optimistic you could dance to it it's like a fun jazz song like it's it's i mean it's jazz so there's all these solos and notes flying everywhere but it's bright and energetic and hopeful it's like a celebration song and i i thought that that it's a really good example of someone getting sober and putting that into his song um next you ready for the next one ready buffy saint marie that's it, not a real person. It's a real person. She actually spent some time in Minnesota. So she is uh, from Canada. She was born in the in the Cree in a in a reservation. Actually, she was born on a reservation in Canada from in the Cree Nation. She moved around a lot in her childhood, but she became a member of the Cree Cree uh, tribe within the Cree Nation of Native Americans. Um, in in her early adulthood, she had a th- problem with her throat, which resulted, I don't know if she got a surgery or what, she was prescribed codeine and she got addicted to codeine. And then she got off of it. And she wrote this folk song warning people against codeine. Um, after she having, like, yeah. Played at this, the pharmacy. Yeah, it was in 1963. So this was wow. a little earlier than that jazz song, but 1963, so this is a really early song. And it sounds like a like a Bob Dylan folk protest song, but it's about warning people against codeine. Um, she's still alive. She's very active. She's an artist. She's a poet. She's a Native American rights advocate. She spent some time in Minnesota. She married a Minnesotan for a while. So I'll read some of And then I mentioned- Did she, uh, did she marry Bob Dylan? No. Okay, just checking. <laughs> no. But her song, was, her song was later covered by Janis Joplin, who rewrote oh, wow. the lyrics and called it Codeine. And I referenced that in the prior podcast. But this is her version which came first, called Codeine, C-O-D apostrophe I-N-E. So it's misspelled. Um, My mother and father said whiskey is a curse, but the fate of their baby is many times worse. And it's real, and it's real one more time. Stay away from the cities. So she was a country girl, and the the trouble was in the cities. Stay away from the cities. Stay away from the towns. Stay away from the men pushing codeine around. That's us, the docs. <laughs> stay away. Yeah. From, stay away from, I have never uh, prescribed codeine yeah, cough syrup. Yeah. Uh, stay away from the stores where the remedy is fine for better your pain than be caught in codeine. So it's for better to be in pain than to take this stuff. 
and it's real and it's real. You'll forget you're a woman. You'll forget you're a man. Try it just once and then you'll try it again. You'll forget all about life. You'll forget all about time. And you'll live off your days as a slave to Codine. And it's real and it's real. Use it one more time. Wow. So, 1963, she's warning people. I, I went through this hell. Don't go, don't go through this hell like me. Pretty cool. Well, pretty obviously, some Purdue Pharma didn't listen yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah, I, right. that might need to be dug out. No. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, uh, we're the least of their worries these yeah. days. Or I don't know, right. maybe not. Uh, so uh, I'm going to jump way ahead to uh, another uh, warning song, and that is I'm going to I'm going to jump ahead a couple decades to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I've actually heard of this band finally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's two songs that are very similar that came out around the same time. And one is Red Hot Chili Peppers Under the Bridge. So when I was a teenager, I was in summer camp and we were in the lunchroom and this song came on overhead. It was like the early 90s or whatever. Every kid in the lunchroom could sing along. I mean, the, it was it was like this magical experience. I was like, whoa, this song is big. The whole like hundreds of kids at lunch could all sing along. Did they know they were singing? about Anthony Kiedis injecting heroin. <laughs> you know, I think before we continue with this, I mean, what kind of camp was that? Yeah. Oh, a Badger Boy State. A Badger oh. Boy, you know about... Uh, like Boy Scouts? It's it's like mm-hmm. it's like you're uh, an up-and-comer. You get chosen to go to this uh, leadership. Oh, this oh, is a, a Wisconsin thing. Yeah, the Badger Boy State. It's a leadership camp. Oh, so you like sit around and eat cheese over in Wisconsin. Yeah, you learn camp. the Pledge of Allegiance, actually. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a little anyway. bit of indoctrination. Anyway, sorry for that. I, uh, yeah, I, no, that's a cool. That's cool. It's cool. So anyways, we're singing. So here we are at the Leadership of America camp in Wisconsin singing a song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers about injecting heroin. Oh we didn't gosh. even know it. So the Red Hot Chili Peppers had this guy, uh, guitarist, Hillel Slovak. And Hillel Slovak, go back and listen to some of those first Red Hot Chili Peppers albums. They're really funky. He's, he's a great guitarist, super unique. And he died of a heroin overdose. Um, a lot of those guys were using heroin. Um, Flea, the bass player, Anthony Kiedis, the lead singer, they're all using a bunch of drugs. So when Hillel Slovak died, they brought in this other guitarist to replace him, John Frusciante. Well, pretty quick, John Frusciante also got addicted to heroin. And Anthony Kiedis is like, oh, geez, like, I, I saw my first bandmate die of heroin overdose, and here we go, the replacement's already addicted to heroin, and I'm kind of freaking out. And then Anthony Kiedis started, it, it made him feel isolated from his band and it made him feel worried about his bandmates and so he felt really lonely and afraid for his bandmates and that made him remember of a time when he was younger and more using drugs more often when he had this girl he was really in love with and he and he wanted to you know spend his life with her or whatever but instead of um, pursuing his romantic life he was injecting heroin he was under the bridge injecting heroin and so he wrote this song about how he threw away a romantic opportunity because he used heroin, but it also about the loneliness he felt when he was using heroin. And he's feeling in that moment when the guitarist who plays on that song is addicted to heroin. Wow. So it's, it's both a mem- remembrance of his past love and his past drug use and a sort of a message across the room to the guitarist playing on that song, be careful. Uh, people die from heroin. So he here's a quote, and then I'll give you the lyrics. The loneliness I was feeling triggered memories of my time with my girlfriend and how I had this beautiful angel of a girl who was willing to give me all of her love. And instead of embracing that love, I was downtown with gangsters shooting speedball under a bridge. Mm-hmm. So that was what prompted the song. And the song, uh, the lyrics aren't 
are pretty quick, so I'm not going to get too into it. But the lyrics are, under the bridge downtown is where I drew some blood. Right, like I yeah. injected. Yeah. Um, under the bridge, I could barely get enough. Under the bridge, I forgot about my love. Under the bridge, I gave my life away. Right, so that's Kiedis singing about his sadness. Wow. Um, it's pretty intense. Do you know what happened to that drummer? Oh, J- John Frusciante is uh, J- the, the guitarist. The guitarist. Yeah, the guitarist yeah John Frusciante is still around, still playing. I don't know where he is in his path uh, to recovery or not, but he is a fantastic guitarist, and he's had a number of uh, musical opportunities. And he's been back and forth with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, so he's played with them on nice. many subsequent tours. So I don't know where they're currently at. And you, you read about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, all of them. They've all had ups and downs and struggles and uh yeah, they're doing. They're still mostly doing pretty well. They lost that first early member, but they're all still doing. I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers in concert. That was I see them a couple times. I saw them in a small venue. The first time I did stage diving, uh, <laughs> I was was at a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert uh, uh, in nineteen. God, I was. 13 years old. Oh, jeez. And your when parents you, let you go to this? I don't know yet. <laughs> mom, mom, dad, I'm sorry. I wonder what I remember as a 13 year old. Uh, yeah, it's not. I went to it's right. okay. He yeah. took the right path. Yeah, well. <laughs> Write this down, Heather. Yeah, okay. Uh, another interesting, very similar song at a very similar time. So at that time in the early 90s, there was a lot of heroin in LA. There was also a lot of heroin in Seattle. And you know, if you like grunge, I mean, Kurt Cobain from Nirvana, heroin, heroin addicted, Courtney Love, his wife from Hole, heroin addicted, and this guy named Andrew Wood. Andrew Wood was a lead singer in a band named Mother Love Bone. Andrew Wood was roommates with Chris Cornell, who's the lead singer in Soundgarden. And so they were roommates, and Andrew Wood died of an overdose, heroin overdose. And Chris Cornell was like his roommate and his friend. So what they what happened after that was there was like sort of a super group that had like half of Soundgarden plus a couple members of Mother Love Bone. Plus they brought this guy up from San Diego, this young vocalist that nobody'd heard of up from San Diego, Eddie Vedder. Oh gosh. And they had this band called Temple of the Dog. And Temple of the Dog was a tribute band to Andrew Wood who had died of a heroin overdose. And it was half a Soundgarden and half of what would become Pearl Jam. Oh, and, sure. and so a really interesting musical collaboration. But um, also, yeah, so Andrew Wood died of an overdose in 1990, and Temple of the Dog was released in 1991. Um, lead singer of Soundgarden, Chris Cornell, who sings on th- these songs um, with, uh, at times with um, Eddie Vedder, uh, he died, he got, was addicted to pharmaceuticals, addicted to opioids, other, he also had terrible depression, um, and he struggled with depression and addiction his whole life. And as you probably know, he he hanged himself in 2017. And and at the time of his death, there was a variety of drugs in his system. So he hanged himself in 2017. Um, by the way, the autopsy reported naloxone, but no opioids. And I speculate he was on suboxone. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah, good. That's why they, they didn't test for buprenorphine. I spe- but, it's just total speculation. Um, but so Chris Cornell and... And Andrew Wood both died under different circumstances. Anyways, this song that I chose from Temple of the Dog is called Times of Trouble. And I'll read the lyrics. But the thing about Times of Trouble is listen to the end of that song. And it's Chris Cornell in all of his vocal power. I mean, he's a powerful singer begging you that you're going to have tough times. You're going to have dark times. You got to get through it. You got to find a way to get through your times of trouble. And he's just sort of imploring you and begging you 
get through these tough times because he had just seen his friend overdose and die. Sure. Um, so it's just when you, you might not notice it, but when you listen to the end of that song and you think, this man just saw one of his best buddies die and he doesn't want anyone else to die. It's so powerful. And then you know what happened to Chris Cornell not getting through his own tough times. It's such a powerful song at the end. So when the spoon is hot and the needle's sharp and you drift away, oh, I can hear you say that the world is black, is upon your back, and your body shakes so you ditch away and you close the shades. Don't try to do it. Don't try to kill your time. Oh, yeah, you might do it. Then you can't change your mind. So if you kill your time, he says kill your time is like, Killing yourself or overdosing. Right, overdosing. Overdosing. So if you overdose, you can't change your mind at that point. You've got to hold on to your time till you break through these times of trouble. When you try to talk and the words get hard and they put you down, don't you stay, don't you ditch away. And so ditching mm-hmm. away is like a word for, I guess, injecting. So you know, uh, Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things, and in, you know, sometimes when you talk to patients, often they'll say that part of the excitement of of the injection is that possibility of death. Yeah. And it's interesting that the way you kind of talk about that where, I mean, I don't know if they, do you ever specifically, have you seen anybody kind of, you know, have music that kind of insinuated that? God, let me think about that. The, the, oh, well, I'll, I'll say this about it. A lot of this music uh, talks about gambling. And and in your stack of chips yes. and, and playing against the odds, so there's so that theme comes out in a lot of the a lot of the songs we talked about. And that's Some probably of part of it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's a little bit of a thrill of the gamble. But I do like to your point. I do like how so killing your time is a way of like getting high and losing track of time. But it also could mean overdosing. Right. So you're you're. And, and there was an earlier song on the other podcast where Lou Reed says he uses heroin to nullify his life. So he's nullifying his life. So, so it's like just just to go go have your whole brain go quiet for a period of time. It's killing your time, nullifying your life. So they're understanding that what you're trying to do here is just quiet the, quiet your mind. But you could sometimes not come back from that. And that's yeah. and that's what he's trying to warn people against in this song. Yeah, and interestingly, I had a guy who actually overdosed and died probably three or four months ago. And what he told me once was that, in fact, you, you, because you were trying to get the best absolute high, you and you knew that that was going to bring you closer to death. Yeah. And he said, but that's that's what you were, that was the aim always. And uh, I, I just was so fascinated by the way he described that. Yeah. One song that I could have put in any three of these podcasts is Hurt by Nine Inch Nails. And he talks a little bit about going to the edge. Yeah. And, and and we'll talk about that. I put it in the next podcast because my favorite version of it is sung by Johnny Cash, who, who, didn't, uh, who didn't use heroin himself. But it's a great song in any case. Um, I got one more song on this, on this one, and I, I, I just love it. And that is from uh, Wilco. Please be patient with me. And in Wilco, the lead singer is Jeff Tweedy, and he's the lead singer and he's the lyricist and kind of the primary creative force for Wilco, although they're all amazing musicians. Um, Jeff Tweedy, as a, as a young person, got, uh, had severe anxiety, severe social anxiety, and he had migraines. Mm. So he so he was exposed to opioids, and, and this is in the early 2000s, like so many people got addicted to pharmaceutical opioids. Um, and then he got sober. And um, supposedly his 2007 album, Sky Blue Sky, was written as in part as an apology to his wife and his family 
because he had done so much damage to his family um, while he was using drugs. And it's a it's this wonderful album. The album's great. It's great music. Uh, but uh, there's a particular song, Please Be Patient With Me, which seems just so pointedly directed at his wife asking for apology and patience. And then also it's just like a great thing to understand how people with addictions suffer this way. And so um, there's, I'll read the lyrics and then I'll call out some of the specific things. This is a very sort of gentle, quiet acoustic song. Um, I should warn you when I'm not well. So this is that not well. Mm -hmm. Not well means using drugs often. So I should warn you when I'm not well. I can tell. Oh, there's nothing I can do to make this easier for me, for you. You're going to need to be patient with me. How can I warn you when my tongue turns to dust? Like we've discussed. It doesn't mean I don't care. It means I'm partially there. You're going to need to be patient with me. So that's, it's two things. He's talking about anxiety. My right. tongue turns to dust. I'm only partially there. He's like, it's the anxiety he doesn't control. But I think he's also talking about opioids. Like you get a dry mouth from opioids. I'm only partially there. Like we were just talking about, like you nullify your own life. You, you, you lose your time. He gets taken out of time. So he's not there with his wife. Um, he's not totally well, and he's just saying, please be patient with me uh, and try to understand what I'm going through. And I just, I think that's a really powerful message. It's a beautiful song, and it's maybe a good way to end, end this this version of the podcast. Yeah, I think that, that whole point there, though, is you see that a lot with families and loved ones and that plea because the patients are trying to get better. They're trying to, they're trying to do the thing. Right. They're trying to fix their disease or address it. And then the family has been burned so many dang times that yeah, just want to say it's okay. We'll get there. Right. And yeah. And the remorse, he, he really emotes his, his remorse mm. in the song. It's, it's interesting to listen to that and think this is a man who's, who's hurt his wife and who feels bad about it. And it's to listen to his voice and hear how powerful the emotion is. So you'd almost want to say to him, like, the fact that you can acknowledge that, yeah. that's a good step. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you got some insight there. Yeah. yeah. I well, think, to my knowledge, we're still together, and he's actually working on a project with his son, who's a drummer. Oh, and cool. so I think they're doing well. Hmm. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the end of this second in a series of three podcasts by Dr. Charlie Reznikoff from the Twin Cities. So we're going to end this one, and we'll come back for the third one next week. And uh, go ahead, Heather, if you want to. Tell us what that one's going to be about. So yeah, next week we'll hear the final of the three, as Kurt said, about heroin. Um, people singing about heroin from the perspective of a non-user. Um, so that'll be very interesting, a different, totally different perspective than, than what we've heard the last couple of weeks. So tune in. All right. Thank you very much for coming.